Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Long Lens Podcast. This is a podcast where I answer questions from our YouTube community and just talk about filmmaking and YouTube. So in today's episode, we have kind of a bonus episode today. I put out a poll on my YouTube community page like 11 days ago. And what's funny is there's almost like an equal split for all of the options that I put. So in today's podcast, I'm going to be discussing all the topics that I put in there because there wasn't a clear winner. So in today's episode, I'm going to kind of be discussing that. So this might be a little bit of a longer bonus episode, but I kind of wanted to kind of hit on all of these subjects because it seems like there's a pretty even split when it comes to these topics. And what's also different is I'm actually recording inside of my camper van today. I don't have an office right now. My wife and I are, we're in the midst of a move. So we're actually planning on moving to Dallas, Texas pretty soon. So we have about three more weeks. I'm staying here with my parents in Portland. Yeah, this is kind of a weird setup. Anyways, let's jump into the topics. So I'm going to start with favorite things about the Micro Four Thirds system. Now, to be honest, I've been debating back and forth about whether or not I'll stick with Micro Four Thirds for the foreseeable future. As of right now, I don't have any plans on getting a new camera, but sometimes using larger sensored cameras and getting that shallow depth of field super easily is always really tempting for me. Even in my most recent video, I was shooting with an old Canon T7, and it was just so easy to get shallow depth of field with that camera because the sensor is bigger. But at the end of the day, I still really like Micro Four Thirds and the features and price point that those cameras offer. So I've kind of narrowed it down to like three things that I really like about Micro Four Thirds cameras. The first one is the lenses. I think Micro Four Thirds has some of the smallest native autofocus lenses. Like Micro Four Thirds' lenses, like a lot of them can be really, really small. The Olympus 17 millimeter, the Panasonic 15, the Olympus 25, all those lenses are just super small. And if your goal was to make just the smallest kit possible, I still think that Micro Four Thirds is one of the best options for that. Second thing that I really like is that Micro Four Thirds are still punching way above their weight class when it comes to image quality for the price. So in 2022, you know, you can spend a thousand bucks and get a really great looking image. But in the Micro Four Thirds world, you can spend 500 bucks and get an amazing looking image still. And the last thing I like about Micro Four Thirds cameras, at least the ones that I use, is just the size. And this is gonna kind of play into the next topic that we're gonna talk about when it comes to content camera versus cinema camera. But Micro Four Thirds cameras are really good content cameras, but can also have the ability to be rigged out to be really good cinema cameras as well. And you see that in, you know, cameras like the GH5 and whatnot. But I really like the idea of having a very small and compact little rig that I can just take with me anywhere. It's not going to draw a lot of attention and it still produces a really high quality image. So I think that's one of the biggest draws for Micro Four Thirds still, even though there are cameras like the a7C and even, you know, the a7S line that are not super big cameras, but they're still big enough. And especially paired with lenses, they turn into these much bigger setups. And so that's why I really like Micro Four Thirds. You know, since I'm moving now, like realizing how much stuff I have, it really makes me yearn for just a small and compact setup that's still produces great quality videos, but just isn't as bulky and cumbersome. I just want something that like super nimble and easy to shoot with, but still produces cinema level videos. So that brings me to the next topic, which is 
content cameras versus cinema cameras. Now, the reason that I had this as a topic idea is because I feel like that's one of the biggest struggles that I have is choosing wanting to be a cinematographer and a filmmaker and make stuff for clients or realizing that I have a YouTube channel and I am, whether I like it or not, a content creator. And that's one of the things that like, it's really hard to be both, at least for me. Now, I do think that there are people that do this really well. One person that comes to mind is someone like Danny Gewurz. He makes very cinematic videos, but he's also a content creator and he like balances those really well. But for me, like, I know that if I had a big rigged out like pocket 4k or a you know an fx3 even or an fx6 or any just like big cinema camera the draw for me to take that out and actually shoot with it would dwindle so much now if i was going out and shooting like a spec at our commercial of course i want to have like something that's going to be way easier to use and produce a much more cinematic image I say cinematic in air quotes, but if I was just going to go out into the mountains and like shoot a YouTube video, I don't want that big of a rig. Now, the easiest answer is just like, well, Nigel, just get two different cameras, get a cinema camera and a content camera. And I agree, that's a really good option. But again, where I'm at right now is I'm trying to pare down my camera kit. I'm trying to become a little bit more minimalistic and not have all of this really big and bulky and expensive gear. The one thing that I feel like a lot of people don't realize with bigger cameras that have bigger lenses that need rigging, everything else becomes bigger as well, right? So the bigger your camera, the bigger tripod you need. The bigger tripod you need, the more space it takes up in your van. Same thing with lights. If you have bigger lights, you need bigger light stands. You need more heavy duty modifiers. It just, it all becomes, just everything kind of grows the bigger your camera gets. But if you have a small compact kit, everything can kind of stay small and compact, which is something that I'm really attracted to. And another thing that I kind of wanted to, you know, just bring to light is like what actually constitutes a cinema camera. Uh, Patrick Tommaso kind of brought this up in one of his S5 videos, but like the Panasonic S5 is a cinema camera for all intents and purposes, right? It's got like almost anything that a cinematographer would want in a camera, especially one who is on a budget. I mean, that camera only costs like under $2,000. And it's got a full frame sensor. It shoots 10 bit, has full vlog. I mean, you can do ProRes RAW into an external recorder. I mean, it's a great camera, but a lot of people would look at that and think that it's a mirrorless DSLR content style camera when really you can produce amazing cinematic images with that camera or the S1 or the S1H. And it's kind of like the same idea with the A7S3 versus the FX3. And that's one thing that like, I really think the FX3 produces a really great image, but the only thing that I really see that like differentiates it from the A7S3 is that it doesn't have an optical viewfinder. Everything else is basically the same and it doesn't even add, like as far as I know, maybe they've done some firmware upgrades, but like I think it still uses shutter speeds instead of shutter angles, which is something that cinema cameras have in them. I mean, my original Blackmagic Pocket had shutter angle in it. That's just something that I think that like maybe you should consider is, is there a real reason that you want a cinema camera? Like, is it because it has the features that you actually need in a camera or is it just because it's going to make you look cooler on set? And 
if you're not working on set, if you're a freelancer or especially if you're a YouTuber, I personally think that cinema cameras can really slow you down. In my opinion, it's almost more fun to try to create cinematic stuff with content cameras because it's just a little bit more rewarding. Again, this kind of goes back to the whole why I shoot with you know cheaper cameras, but it's a really rewarding thing to create something that looks like it could be a TV spot, but you've done it with something that you can buy at Best Buy. That's what I'm trying to do more of on my YouTube channel is, you know, create little, you know, short films or promotional videos or like spec ads with the, you know, small content cameras that I use. And that brings me to the last topic, which is my thoughts after two years of going full-time on YouTube. So yeah, I went full-time on YouTube in March of 2020. So it has been two years that I've basically just been supporting myself and my wife with the earnings that I make off of YouTube. Now, I kind of wanted to go in the direction of just kind of talking about my thoughts and whether or not I want to stay doing YouTube full-time. And I really did want to do another entire podcast just on like what full-time means being on YouTube, because I feel like a lot of people just think that like, it's a really weird thing to say that you're going full-time on YouTube. Like, what the heck does that even mean? Like, full-time can mean different things to different people. And the amount of money that I bring in, I mentioned this on the Golden Hour podcast, but like, it's supporting me and my wife here in Oregon. We live pretty comfortably here, but if I was living in New York or Los Angeles, I probably wouldn't be going full-time on YouTube. I'd probably still need a regular job. Or like if I had a bunch of kids, like I'd need to be bringing in a lot more money. But anyways, that's not really what I'm going to go into. What I'm kind of wanted to talk about for this segment is just what are the pros and cons of being a YouTuber? Obviously, the biggest pro is that I can basically just do whatever I want with a little bit of an exception. Like I basically just make videos that I want to make and I post them on my YouTube channel. That's awesome. The only stipulation is like, if I have a sponsor, then I have a deadline that I need to post that video and I have to, you know, obviously put the ad read in the video. But other than that, I can basically make whatever I want to make, which is pretty cool. That's a very creatively freeing thing to be able to do. Because when I was a freelancer, I had to make things that other people were paying me to make. And obviously I can put my own creative spin on it, but at the end of the day, it's their video. Whereas with YouTube, I'm making my own videos. And that's a really, really cool thing. It's also cool because a lot of my income is passive. So if I want to take a week off and just go camping or go on a road trip with my wife, I can, which is pretty cool. You know, being that I'm a, you know, YouTuber now, it's like, I have to make a video every week. And that leads me to making, you know, you know, 50 to 52 videos a year which is pretty sweet. And I feel like as a freelancer, I was maybe making like, you know, 10 to 20 videos a year and they were all for other people and they barely got seen by anyone. But now I'm making 50 videos a year and they're getting seen by thousands and thousands of people. And I can look back at those videos and kind of be like, oh, I'm actually getting better. Like not only in the way that I tell the story and present the product and talk to the camera, but also in my lighting and my color grading and all like the technical stuff that I want to see improve. I'm improving, but I'm also improving in all of these different ways that I probably wouldn't have if I was, you know, making videos for other people. And the weird thing for me is that like, I never planned on being a YouTuber. Like it was never like a, a goal of mine to, you know, make a living off of YouTube. And it's weird because I'm a millennial and I talk to a lot of, 
you know, Gen Z kids and whoever's younger than them, like, you know, you know, kids that are like, you know, 10, 15 years old and they all want to do what I'm doing. Like they all want to be YouTubers and be content creators. But I think that like, for me, it's more of just like a, I'm doing it not necessarily reluctantly, but I'm doing it because I kind of fell into it and found that I liked it. It wasn't that I was like really striving to be a YouTuber and, you know, just itching to have a certain, you know, a number amount next to my YouTube name. I think all of that really doesn't mean anything unless you can actually support yourself and unless you can actually like turn it into a career. I have 14,000 like followers on TikTok means absolutely nothing to me. Don't care at all. I mean, you know, TikTok is a fun medium to just like post random videos on, but there are so many younger people that I know that are just like so excited to hit like a certain number. And I like, I understand like it's cool to have as many people as you can following you because, you know, that's how you, you know, you grow yourself on these social media platforms. But at the end of the day, like if I had a thousand subscribers, but I was somehow able to support myself passively with YouTube, I would be totally happy. I don't really care that I have a large amount of people that are following my YouTube channel. And now I guess the cons of being a full-time YouTuber, again, I'm putting both full-time and YouTuber in air quotations because first of all, YouTuber is kind of a weird word and full-time doesn't really mean anything unless you like define it. Like I'm not working 40 hours a week, that's for sure. And some days I pull in more than a full-time salary. And some days I pull in way less than a full-time salary. And I think that's the first thing is that like when you're a content creator or a YouTuber, your paycheck each month is not guaranteed. Uh, you're not guaranteed any amount of money when you're a YouTuber. So you just have to hope and trust that you're making content that's getting views and you're talking about products that people want to buy. That's how you earn money with AdSense and Amazon affiliates and LUT sales. The only guaranteed money that I have is my sponsorship deals. So I have a certain amount of money that I know that I'll make as long as I post a sponsored video that month. So at the end of the month, the sponsor will pay me a guaranteed amount. And that's the only real solid paycheck, I guess, that I have. Everything else fluctuates. And that's the one thing that I do like about sponsors, but sponsors are also a little bit nerve wracking because you're on a deadline and you have to make a video even if you don't want to which is another con of being a youtuber is if you're wanting to bring in more revenue getting sponsors is one of the best ways to do that but that does mean that you have to make a video every other video that's not a sponsored video those are all made just by choice like i choose to make those but with sponsored videos you have to make them if you want to get paid so that's another con is when you get sponsors for your videos, you're kind of obligated to make those videos. And it's really nerve wracking when they don't perform well, or it's really stressful if you're trying to make them perform well and it seems fake. So I would say another con that is just kind of weird is just saying what you do to people. Now, should I care if people think that me saying that I'm a YouTuber is corny? No, but it is always kind of weird meeting new people and them asking you what you do. And you're just like, eh, I'm a 31 year old content creator influencer. That just sounds so weird, even though that is technically what I do. <laughs>
And the last con is it's a kind of lonely job. I'm not going to lie. Like, I think it's just the kind of content that I create and the kind of person that I am that makes it lonely for me. But I know other people, they have their crew around them when they make videos, but that's just not really my video creating style. And that's not like my personality either. Like I'm not like David Dobrik running around with all of his friends making videos. Like I'm very, like my videos are way different than that. And it is kind of lonely, like making videos all by yourself all the time. It's, you know, it's rad when I have friends to go out and help me shoot things. Yeah, I think that's like the last con that I can really say about being a YouTuber. I'm not trying to like make it seem like I'm not grateful because I'm, this is the coolest job that I've ever had. And I may have it for a lot longer and I'm may switch up and do something else, but I never want to seem like I'm not grateful for being a YouTuber because this is something that a lot of other people really want to do. And I'm really stoked that I'm able to do it and that I've been able to do it for two years now. Anyways, that's kind of all the thoughts that I had on those three subjects. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast and listening to me ramble. I'm going to have a regular Q&A podcast out in the later half of March, so definitely stay tuned for that. Definitely follow me on YouTube and check the YouTube community page to get updated on when the next Q&A is so you can ask your question. If you would like to have a shout out with your question, definitely check out the Patreon. The link will be in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you all next time. Later. Later.